right, well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome here to Grace at the Medina East Campus. Man, I'm so excited to uh, just be together, have an opportunity to gather together here. And like Clark mentioned just a moment ago, I just want to reiterate something he said, and that is if you are a guest with us here today, so if it's your first time at a Grace Church gathering or it's your first time here at the Medina East Campus of Grace Church, we just want to say, man, we hope you feel uh, especially welcomed because you are, and uh, we're super excited that you're able to be with us. And I would encourage you to, if you can, um, if you're able to, stick around for a little bit afterwards. Don't feel the need to jet out too quick. Uh, I would love to get to meet you. I'd love it if you get a chance to meet a couple other people as well. Uh, one of the benefits of us getting a chance to be together like we can every week is that we get to be in each other's lives a little bit. And so I would encourage you just to take advantage of that. And so if you don't need to jet out too fast, stick around for a little while, grab a cup of coffee, and uh, get to know someone, hear their story. And uh, like I said, I would love to hear your story, especially if you're newer here. I'd love to hear how you got, to, got here, and I think that'd be uh, really great. Today, we're actually continuing... And a series, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you've been here for this, but what we've been talking about is a series entitled God is Not. Uh, God is Not is the, the title of the series. And basically, if you're just tuning in, the entire goal of this conversation is pretty simple. We said the goal of this, this series is really that we're trying to establish a, a more clear picture of who God is and what God is like. So that's really the goal. Real, real simple. We're trying to establish a clearer picture of who God is and what God is like. And what we said is this. We said we acknowledge the fact that all of us come to God with a certain set of assumptions or presuppositions, usually based off of our background or based off of our, our upbringing, our experiences. And we come to God with these presuppositions and with these assumptions of who we believe he is. And we said that, man, those assumptions, they need to be challenged. They need to be challenged. And we need to really get a clear picture of who God is and who God is not so that we know how to interact with him properly. And so the way that we've been doing this, it's actually kind of a unique approach. Uh, the, the, the analogy we've been using is we said we've been approaching this series almost like a photograph. And so if you think of a, of a photograph, not a digital photograph, but like an old school film photograph, you guys remember those? Uh, we're approaching it a little bit like that. And we said that if you think about a photograph, uh, when you would snap a picture, what it would do is it would produce for you the exact negative image of the thing that you took a shot of. And then you would take that into a dark room. And based off of that negative, negative image, it would produce a clear picture of what it is that you were trying to, uh, what you were trying to look at, the picture that you were trying to take. And so we said in the same way that if you want to get a clear picture of something, it requires um, an accurate uh, negative of that image. We said in the same way, we're approaching this series and we're saying that we want to make these very clear and definitive statements about who God is, but also about who God is not. And so we said that through that, that through understanding who God is, but also understanding who he's not, that's going to help us really kind of get a more crystal clear picture of who God is and help us to know how to interact with him. And so what we've been doing in this series, you might remember, is we've actually been journeying through one passage of scripture. We've been looking at a very, very, very famous psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. Might be one of the most famous psalms in all of the Bible, and it's all about the character of God. It's all about who God is and what he's like. And so as we've been looking at this psalm, each week we've been making these very definitive statements about who God is and who he is not. And so let me just uh, kind of recap a little bit. Once again, if you missed the past few weeks, here's what we discovered so far, looking through Psalm 23. We found that God is not indifferent. God is personal. So as we've been journeying through Psalm 23, we've discovered God is not indifferent. Uh, God is personal. Then we, we said, uh, God is not weak. God is strong. Uh, God is not weak. God is strong. And then last week, if you were here, you might remember, we talked about this idea that God is not cheap. God is not cheap. God is lavish. 
And um, by the way, I would encourage you if, you, if you missed the previous conversations in the series and, and, and if you didn't get a chance to hear these, we actually spent one week talking about each one of these statements. So we spent an entire week uh, dissecting and unpacking and, and really kind of, of, a plot, of, a, uh, of applying what does this actually mean and what are the implications in our lives. And so I would encourage you, if you missed the past three weeks, you can go back, you can listen to, you can watch uh, all of those messages on our podcast, our app, on our website, all of those platforms are for free. So we'd encourage you to take advantage of that. But today what we're going to do is we're going to continue kind of making some of these definitive statements, and we're going to make yet another statement about who God is and who God is not. And to do that, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles, and why don't you return back with me to Psalm chapter 23. So we're going to go back uh, to the passage that we've been looking at for the past few weeks and return back to Psalm chapter 23. We're going to kind of pick it up where we left off a little bit last time. And let me just say, as you're finding Psalm 23, that if you did not bring a Bible with you today, or if you don't have like a smartphone or a device that you have a Bible app, feel free to use one of our Bibles. And uh, in those black Bibles that we have provided, page 382 is where you're going to find Psalm chapter 23. And uh, let me just say this too. We say it every week, but we really mean it. And it's this, is that if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, please just take one of ours. We would love for you uh, to have a copy of the Bible for yourself. So write your name in it, take it home. We'd love for you to take that. So Psalm 23, find it however you want to find it. And as you're flipping there, um, I just want to say too, by the way, uh, how great it is to be back with you. It feels really, really good to, to be back home, to be back at the Medina East Campus. Um, if we've never met, my name is Tony. I'm the campus pastor here at the Medina East Campus. And for the past few weeks, I've actually been in and out of town quite a bit. And so I, I haven't been able to be with you for the past few weeks and uh, got a chance to do a bunch of different stuff. And so a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, had a really cool opportunity uh, to speak at, uh, we have a, a national fellowship conference that, we, that happens every year uh, for the fellowship that we're part of, and so I had a chance to be involved in that, and that was awesome. And then last week, uh, if you're not familiar with Grace, we actually have multiple campuses uh, throughout the Akron area, and, and we have a couple campuses down in Atlanta, and so I had a chance to do some training with some of the residents and interns who are part of the residency and internship program here at Grace, so that was awesome. And then in between those two things, my family and I were able to take some vacation time. So we took uh, some PTO. And uh, what we do is every year we have this annual trip. We go up to northern Michigan. And so we have some family. They own some property up there. And so we get a chance every year to go up there. And it was just it was awesome. Uh, I got four kids. And so we got some quality time together. And that was just really good and really refreshing. But I got to say, it feels really, really good to be back um, and to kind of get back into the saddle and back in the swing of things. So I missed you guys. Um, missed uh, most of you guys, I should say. I'll let you <laughs> figure out who you are. And uh, now, but it was, it was fantastic. And, but there's something interesting I noticed uh, when I was away, when I was on vacation this time. Um, and I, I, was, I was almost hesitant to say this, and I'll, I'll tell you why here in a second. I think you'll see why in a second. But I think that maybe some of you can relate with this. I, I've discovered something over the past few years, um, something that happens to me every time I, I, I know that vacation time is coming. And um, the best way I can describe it to you is whenever I know that I have some vacation time coming, I start to develop this thing I've noticed. I call it the when-then syndrome. I start to develop this thing. I call it the when-then syndrome. Let me see if I can explain to you what this is. This is what happens, all right? So whenever I know I have some vacation time coming, which, which I'm, I usually, my schedule is usually plotted out pretty far in advance, and so I'll get approved, and I'll put it in my calendar. I'll, I'll know it's coming for a few months in advance. And every time I see it in my calendar, what happens is, like most people, um, I really start to look forward to it, right? I start to get excited about, oh, it's going to be awesome, and I'm excited about, you know, having an opportunity to be with the family and all that kind of stuff. 
But what will happen is I'll, I'll find that I start to slip into this thing. Like I said, it's called the when-then uh, syndrome. And, and here, here's what it looks like. Like, I'll, I'll look and I'll say, man, you know, things are so busy right now, and, and, and my schedule's so full, and things are so hectic, and, and I, I'm starting to feel a little stressed out. And then I'll think to myself, I'll think, you know what, but I, I get that it's like that right now, but when I get on vacation... Well, then, like, it's going to be all good. Like, I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to, I'm going to have rest. I'm going to be refreshed. Like, it's going to be this great time, and it's going to be wonderful. And I'll start to put these expectations on what that time is going to look like. So here's another area it happens. It'll happen to my kids. So like I said, I got four kids, and sometimes, you know, I'll be like, man, I'm, I've just so, it's been so busy, and I know I'm not investing in my kids the way I want to be investing in my kids, and I know I need to make more time for them, but then I'll think this. I'll think, but when I get on vacation, oh, then I'm going to spend quality time with my kids. I'm going to be the father of the century. Like, I'll start to envision what we're going to do together. I'm like, we're going to play. I'm going to play with them. We're going to you know, build sandcastles. We're going to play games. I'm going to tell them wise, insightful things. And they're going to listen to me and go, oh, yes, Father, you are so wise. We're going we're gonna to hug, right? We're going to have Folgers moments together. Like, it's going to be, I'm just going to be the dad of the century. I'm going to tell jokes. They're going to think I'm the funniest guy alive. Like, and I'll start to have this idea of when I get there, then it's going to be great. Like, I'm going to be the best dad. I'll do the same thing with my wife. I'll say, man, when we get on vacation, then I'm going to be the best husband. I just tell you, I know, I know that, you know, we need to get some more quality time together. So on vacation, we're going to do that. And I'm going to serve her. Oh, man. I'm going to be something else. I'm going to help with the kids. I'm going to get up. We have a little baby right now. I'm going to get up with the baby in the middle of the night. I'm going to go. I'm just going to go the extra mile. She's going to say things like, you're my hero. And it's going to be this wonderful thing. We're going to watch the sunset every night, right? And I'll, I'll start to look, and I'll, I have a pile of books in my office right now. And I'll look at that, and I'll say, man, I, there's all these books I want to read. I want to get caught up on that. And so I'll say, I don't have any time to do it now. But when I'm on vacation, oh, I'm going to read. Then I'm going to read. I'm going to, I'm going to read a book a day on vacation. I'm just going to be the most, you know, studious person. I'm going to get up. I'm going to work out every morning on vacation. And then, and then you guys see where this is going, right? Because then vacation comes. Anyone else like this? Am I the only one? Then I get on vacation, right? And I get to the when, and suddenly it occurs to me that I'm still me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just in a different place. For some reason, I thought if I was in a different place, I'd be a different person. But all of a sudden, I realize I'm still me. And my kids still slightly annoy me, and I'm still selfish, and I don't want to read any books, and I certainly don't want to work out. Like, and all of a sudden, I have to reset my expectations because I thought that when I was there, then it was going to be cool. Then I was going to be at peace. Then I was going to be at rest, but reality suddenly sets in. Now, the reason I'm hesitant to tell you that is because, come on, let's just be honest. This is totally a first world issue, right? Um, the fact that I even get a chance to go on vacation. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't even have that luxury, so I feel uh, spoiled even, like, bringing it up. But the reason I bring it up is because I think that if you can relate to that to any extent or another, I think that this is a small, silly example of, quite honestly, the way I think that most of us live our lives. I think a lot of us live with a when-then mentality. I think many people, in fact, I think that most of us, if we were being real honest, we can find ourselves slipping into living life this way. And here's what I mean. I think for us, the whens can look a lot of different ways, depending on the season of life you're in. But I think we think this way. When I get to this place in life, when I get to this season, when I accomplish this thing, right, when I, when I finally get over this part, then I'm going to find fulfillment. Then I'm going to be happy. 
that I'm gonna, then everything's gonna be okay and everything's gonna be the way it ought to be. Then I'm gonna be the person I know I should be. And like I said, it shows up in a lot of different ways, right, depending on the season. So if you're a student in this room, like if you're a middle school student or a high school student or a college student, I know, by the way, for some of you, school is just starting and we all sympathize and are sad for you, right? Just out of curiosity, how many of you growing up looked forward to school starting back up again? Just out of curiosity, I mean, okay, we have a few overachievers in the room. That's fast. How many of you are normal? And didn't. Okay, good. That's like me, right? So that's a, no, but I, I think if you're a student, maybe for you, what you're saying is you're saying, when, when I graduate, when I get through this semester, when I get through this residency, when I get through this nursing program, when I get, you know, whatever it might be, then, then life's going to be good. Then I'm going to find fulfillment. We do it in a lot of different ways. We'll say, when I, when I get into that relationship, if you're a single person, when I, when, I, when I buy that house, when I get out of that relationship, when I get the promotion, right? When I, when I get into this job, when I get out of my current job, whatever it might be, when I retire, when I achieve a certain, then, then it's gonna be good. Then things are gonna be right. Things are gonna be the way they, they should be. And then I'm gonna find fulfillment in this life. And I think for many of us, we live life with this when, then, um, mentality. And I guess that leads me to a question that I wanted to ask you. And that's this. If you just were to pause for a minute and look inside of yourself, what is the when that you're focusing on, that you're thinking about, that you're looking at right now, that you're thinking to yourself that when that happens, then you're going to be satisfied, you're going to be fulfilled? What is that for you? My guess is that if you stopped for any length of time, there probably is a couple of things that you're thinking about. There's probably some things that you're thinking, yeah, when that happens, then I think, Everything is going to be good. Everything's going to be okay. And here's the thing. If you've lived life long enough, and I found this to be true as well, what you come to discover, and this is no surprise to anyone in this room, is that oftentimes when we get to the when, we suddenly realize that the when, when we get there, that we don't get the then. And so because the then doesn't happen when we get to the when, when we get to the when, we automatically start looking for another when. Does that make sense? I don't know if that made any sense in the world, right? But you guys are tracking with what I'm saying. So we finally get to the when, and then it doesn't do what we thought it was going to do. And so what we'll do is we'll start looking for another when. We'll say, okay, well, when I get there, then it's going to be. And we can spend our lives just chasing after this elusive when, thinking that then I'm going to have peace and I'm going to have fulfillment. Now, here's why I bring all that up, because if you can identify with that in any way, I think that that actually is symptomatic of a deeper issue. I think that there's a deeper issue that that points to. And what is that? Well, here's what I believe, okay? And I believe this with all my heart. I believe that every single person in this room, every single one of us, whether we're aware of it or not, I think we're all pursuing peace in this life. I think we're all pursuing peace. And when I say peace, here, here's what I mean. I actually mean the biblical idea of peace. So, so some of you might know this. In the Bible, the word peace is, is the word shalom. Um, and that is, that is a standard Jewish greeting. Uh, that's how Jewish people will greet each other, say shalom. And, and we translate it in English, peace, which is accurate, but the English translation doesn't go far enough to explain just how robust the word shalom is. When we tend to think of peace, a lot of times we think of the absence of conflict. Uh, but that's not what shalom means. Shalom means, and we've actually talked about this before here at the Medina East Campus, it means harmony. It means, here's what it means. It means that everything is just as it ought to be. It means that there's a sense of completeness and there's a, a, a sense of rightness. 
And that is a fulfilling and peaceful experience when everything is just like it should be. And I think all of us are pursuing shalom. I think we're going for that in life. And we go through, we, we try to find it in so many different ways. And I bring all of that up because I believe that what we're going to see here today in Psalm chapter 23, what we're going to see here today, I believe it is going to shed a very, very profound light on this pursuit that we're looking at right here. I believe that we're going to see in in Psalm chapter 23 is incredible insight as it relates to our pursuit of peace. Incredible, profound insight as it relates to this. So you're like, what are you talking about? Well, let me just tell you, before we even look at Psalm 23, let me just give you the bottom line. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you uh, where kind of the main point of this entire conversation is today. So I'm just going to let you know right from the beginning, and then we'll spend the rest of our time talking about it. So if you get nothing else out of what I say today, I want you to get this, because here's the main point. We're going to see this in Psalm 23, but here's the bottom line, okay? What we're going to find today is Psalm 23 is going to tell us God is not distant, God is present. Okay, so Psalm 23 is going to tell us, you want to know who God is? You want a more accurate picture of who God is? God is not distant, that God is present. Now, here's why that's so important. And this is what I really want to hone in on here today. God is not distant. God is present. And the reason that's important is because God's presence brings peace regardless of the place. Right, this is super important. And like I said, if you get nothing out of what I say today, I want you to get this, all right? The Bible's going to show us who is God. God is not distant. God is present. And why is that important? Here's why it's important, because God's presence brings peace, regardless of the place. In other words, no matter where you are, whatever place you are in life, no matter what your surrounding circumstances might be, um, peace is not found in a place. Peace is found in a person. It's found in the presence of God. In other words, again, say it again, God's presence is what brings peace, regardless of the place. Some of you are like, can you expound on that a little bit? Well, sure. Actually, let me show you where I'm getting it from. So again, it comes right from Psalm 23. So we'll start off in verse one. Here's what King David says. King David, the one who is the writer of this psalm, he begins by saying these very famous words. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Really, really profound words. Um, uh, If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we've actually spent uh, the last couple of weeks just digging into this one sentence, this first verse. But today what I want to do is I actually want to focus more on the next three verses, verse 2, 3, and 4. So notice what he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And then he goes on. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me besides uh, quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake, and even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so here you have it. Again, some of the most famous words in the Bible. My guess is even if you're not a Bible person, you're probably somewhat familiar with these words because they are so famous. But this psalm is historically and notoriously known for being a psalm about peace, for being a psalm about comfort, right? And why is that? Well, you notice, right? Do you, you notice the language that David uses. Notice the, the, the imagery that he, that he uses to speak about the experience that he's having. Look, look at the, just the incredible, peaceful, and, um, and just the, the words he uses to describe his state. Here's what he says. He says, man, I'm lying down. He makes me lie down. 
Right? That's, a, that's a position of peace. I like to lie down. If I lie down, I usually fall asleep wherever I'm at, right? He says, I'm in green pastures. It's a picture of, of uh, contentment, provision, right? He says, man, I'm in quiet waters. There's quiet waters. It's a tranquility, peace. He says, my soul is refreshed. My soul is refreshed. He says, I'm on, I'm on the right paths and I'm comforted. I'm comforted. What is all this language? Well, this is all language of peace. Remember, this is a poem. And so, so David is using this imagery to try to explain the experience that he's having. And he says, my experience is that I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. I'm refreshed. I'm comforted. Green pastures, still waters, right? I lack nothing is what he says in verse one. All of this is a language of peace. But here's what I want you to notice. And please don't miss this because it's easy to read this psalm and not notice this. But when you look in this psalm, what you see is that the source of the peace that David is experiencing doesn't come from the place that he's in. The source of peace that David is talking about doesn't stem from his location or the place that he's in. It stems from where? Here it is right here. Look at this. For you're with me. You're with me. It stems from God's presence. In other words, what David is saying is he's saying God's presence is what brings peace regardless of the place. Whether I'm in green pastures or whether I'm in the valley, whether it's tranquil waters or whether I'm in the lowest spot, he says, I'm comforted and I, I don't fear and I'm at peace. Why? Because God is with me. Because God is with me and it's God's presence that ultimately is going to bring peace regardless of the place that I'm in. In fact, it's real fascinating if you notice when you, when you, when you look at some of the, the, the words that he uses to describe God's involvement in his life. I mean, these are very, very, very active words of close involvement. Just notice what he says. He says, God, he's my shepherd. He says, he makes me. He makes me. What's that mean? And it means God's involved. God's involved. He's not aloof. He's not uninterested. He's not distracted. He leads me. He leads me. What's that mean? It means that God, God is attentive. He's paying attention to me. And that he's interested in my life. And he's interested in the decisions that I'm making. And he's available to me. Right? He leads me. He says he refreshes me. What's that mean? He cares about me. God cares about the condition of my soul. God knows what I need. This is what David is saying. He says he guides me. That God, is, God, God is very interested, very active in, in, in David. He says he comforts me, which means, man, God understands me. He knows me. All of these words, what are these talking about? They're talking about an intimacy. David recognizes, man, God, God is not distant. God is, not, God is not uninvolved. God is not uninterested. God is not preoccupied. God is not just, you know, unaware of what you're going through. No, 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 God is active and he wants to make me and he wants to lead me and he wants to refresh me and he wants to guide me and he wants to comfort me because he's with me. And here's what David is saying. This is the source of peace. It is understanding and living and acknowledgement of the presence of God. And he's with me. He's with me no matter where I am, no matter the place, he's with me. See, and I believe this. I believe that it is a keen sense of awareness of God's presence that ultimately brings peace in a person's life. It can radically change your inner state if you understand that God is with you, if you come to embrace this reality that David is talking about. So when I was in seventh grade, I remember school just started, and uh, some of you are in that spot right now, but I remember school just started, and I started a new set of classes, and it became pretty apparent pretty quick that the low point of my day 
the part I dreaded the most was history class. And so history class for me was right after lunch, which, you know, is a bad time for a class anyway. But on top of all of that, history was my least favorite subject. And on top of all of that, I had this teacher, and he was just this really monotone teacher, and it was really hard to pay attention. And I, mean, I had just eaten lunch, and so it was really hard to, to kind of engage in those things. And so I kind of dreaded going to history class. It was a low point in my day until about the third day of class. And on the third day of class, there was a, a student who was new to the class who came in, and her name was Erin. So Erin came in, and I knew who she was, but I, she hadn't been part of our class up to that point. And so she came in and she explained to the history teacher uh, why she hadn't been there for the first couple of days. And the history teacher said, that's okay. And then he said, why don't you just pick a chair anywhere that's open? And Aaron decided to sit behind me. And let me just tell you, all of a sudden, history became my favorite subject. <laughs> and the reason is because I had a crush on Aaron. Like, you wouldn't believe, right? So I, like most seventh grade crushes, it was from a distance. I actually never talked to her, uh, but I had observed her. I had observed her from afar, and I could see that, man, she was just, she was something else, and she was so high above me. She was like Cleopatra or Aphrodite, and I just was like, my gosh, this boy, and I had, I was, I mean, I was crushing hard on this girl, so I had a crush on her for a very, very long time, and so she comes into the class, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's her, and she's, and then when she sat behind me, can I tell you what that did to my inner state of existence? My inner state was on fire when she sat behind me. Because all of a sudden, this girl that I had a crush on was inches away from me. She was inches. And I just tell you, when I was sitting there, all of a sudden, like, I could feel her presence. You guys know what I'm talking about? She was, it was pulsating. I was like, she's right here. She's right here. I could feel her, right? Like the hairs in the back of my neck would stand. I was electrified. All of a sudden, I was very aware of every move that I made. Right? I was like, when I hold my pencil, am I doing it the right way? Is this cool? Should I flex? Like, is that cool? <laughs> and like, I just, I was so aware of her presence. It was electrifying. Listen, I would find every opportunity to turn around to ask her a question. And every once in a while, oh man, every once in a while, she would tap me on the shoulder. Oh, oh, oh. And it was electrifying. Right now, now here's the thing. Why am I 37 years old and I'm still telling you about what happened to me in the seventh grade? with Aaron. Some of you are like, yeah, dude, that's pretty pathetic. You need to get some counseling or something. But no, no. Here. By the way, just for the record, my wife was in the room when I was telling this story last, last night, and I reassured her. So this is for the record. Every time she and I get close, it is the exact same experience. <laughs> so just to be clear, that may or may not be entirely true. But uh, here, here's why I'm telling you that, all right? Because, um, listen, and this is so important. All right, look up here for a second. If Aaron could do that to me in the seventh grade. What could a moment-by-moment moment recognition and acknowledgement that the God of the universe who created you is with you? What could that do to you? What could, what could that do to your inner state of existence and your inner peace if you were certain, man, that God is near the God who created you and the God who loves you, he is with you. How could that change the circumstance that you're in? It might not change the externals, but what could that do to your inner state of existence? You see what, you see what David's saying here. He's saying, man, I'm at peace. Why am I at peace? Because God's with me. 
He's not distant and he's not aloof and he's not uninterested. He wants to make me and lead me and refresh me and he wants to guide me and he wants to comfort me. He's available to do those things and he wants to do those things. What could change if, if you were certain of that reality? Um, John Wesley, uh, one of the uh, early church fathers, he said it so, so well. I thought he said it really great. He said this. He said, aside from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the best, God with us. God is with us. God is with us and he's interested and he's available and he wants to lead, he wants to guide. So David says, God is not distant, God is present. And because of that, I can find peace in God's presence regardless of the place that I'm in. I think that's why he goes on to say in verse four, you notice verse four, one of the most famous verses in the entire psalm. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, do you see what he's saying? Whether I'm in green pastures or I'm by still waters or I'm in the valley. I'm at peace. Why? Because you're with me. Because I found the presence of God is what brings peace regardless of the place. Peace isn't found in a place. Peace is found in a person. And when I understand and I live in, in the light of his presence, that's what's going to bring me to this place. It's interesting, the term that he uses there, even though I walk through the darkest valley. You guys see that there? Some of you have different translations, and it might say, in fact, the most popular translation is even though I walk through the valley of the, tell me, the shadow of Right, death, we've all heard that before. In fact, even if you're not a Bible person, you probably have heard that before. It's referenced in art, it's, it's referenced in culture. In fact, even the great philosopher Coolio uh, in the song Gangster's Paradise, if you're a <laughs> child of the 90s, you might remember this, right? What's he say? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Like not to be confused with um, uh, Amish Paradise by Weird Al. That's a totally different <laughs> message, uh, but... We're familiar with this. What's that talking about, darkest valley, the valley of the shadow? What's that talking about? What's well, interesting, that term is actually one word in the Hebrew language, just one word. It is used frequently in the Old Testament. In fact, it's used 18 times in total throughout the Old Testament. And the place it's used the most is in poetry. It's used in poetic literature. And what it's referring to is it's referring to a place that a shepherd would lead his sheep it would often be a very deep, a very low valley, and the cliff faces would be so high on either side that it would blot out the sun. And so it was a dark place. And this becomes a metaphor. It becomes figurative, and it refers to the dark seasons in life. It refers to the valleys. It refers to the times in life when we're at low points. It refers to the times where hope is hard to see. It refers to the times in life where the, the outcome is uncertain right? Refers to times in life where it can be disorienting because we're having a hard time um, seeing or understanding or feeling the presence of God. That's what it's talking about is those seasons. And by the way, I think, I think it's worth mentioning that King David, the one who wrote this psalm, by the way, is very, very qualified to write on this topic. Um, if, you, if you know the story of King David, which, um, by the way, if you, if you don't, it's in the Bible and it's awesome. You should read the story of King David. But when, what you see is King David experienced more valleys, more dark periods of life than quite honestly, most of us will probably ever experience in a lifetime. And just to give you a snapshot of his circumstance, King David was the king of Israel. And because of that, he faced regular assassination attempts. That was just part of his reality. Because he was the king, there was people who would try to slander him, that would try to tear him down. There was all these attempts to try to dethrone him. We see that in his story. And he went through some serious valleys. And we understand with David that there were times, I'm, I'm certain, of paranoia that he went through, being in that position of leadership that he was in. A couple other things we know about David. Did you know that David spent a whole season of his life on the run from his father-in-law because his father-in-law, King Saul, was trying to kill him? 
you think your father-in-law is bad. David's father-in-law was trying to, he kept trying to, to, to throw a spear at him and kill him. And, uh, and so he lived his life on the run. This is a guy who understands valleys. He experienced the loss of a child. David experienced, King David experienced a wayward son. He understood all of that. He went through these valleys in his life. He saw war. He saw the worst of what war had to offer. And so all I'm saying is, here's a guy who's experienced some really, really deep and dark valleys, and yet he is able to say, in the midst of those seasons, he says, I don't fear any evil, and I'm comforted. Why? Because he has recognized, man, God is with me. Even in those seasons, God is with me, and he is right there, and God's presence is what's going to bring peace, regardless of the place that I'm in. Listen, I know when I'm talking about the valleys, for some of you, maybe in this room, I think in a room this size, without a doubt, there's probably some valleys that are represented in here. And for some of you, maybe you're, you're looking and you're saying, man, that's where I'm at right now. I, I'm in a valley. And if you were being real honest, some of you would, if you were being real honest with me, you would say, you know what, I'm in a valley and let's be real honest with you, I'm barely getting through it. And right now I'm in survival mode and I am just hanging on by a thread. And if that's where you are today, if that's where you're at here this morning, can I just tell you, that's Okay. It's okay, to, it's okay to admit that. It's okay to, to be honest about the place that you're in. We don't have to pretend like everything is green pastures and still waters all the time. And we can be honest about the times that God leads us into valleys. Valleys take very different forms. For some of you, maybe you're in a relational valley. It could be a breakup. It could be a divorce. It could be a, a marriage that's going through some turbulent times. It could be a financial valley that you're in right now. It could be an existential valley. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be a diagnosis that you're, for some of you, that's where you're at right now. That's just where you are. And listen, let me just say, if that's where you're at, it's okay to be honest about where you are. And some of you right now, you might be saying to yourself, well, actually, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I'm not in a valley. Actually, things are going pretty good for me right now. And I'd say if that's the case, man, enjoy that. That's a wonderful thing. But just know this, they're coming. Valleys will come. And I think that uh, it's important that we recognize that if God is our shepherd, for those of us who follow Jesus, that, that, that what that means is that there are going to be times that he will lead us into valley situations. He's gonna lead us into these hard times. But here's the encouragement that I want you to see that is available to you. In fact, if you got a pen or you got a highlighter and you got your Bible, I actually want you to circle a very important word. Highlight a very important word. If you have a device, highlight it. If you don't have anything, prick your finger and then use your blood and just circle it or whatever. But here's what I want you to see. All right, check this out. Here's what he says. He says, even though I walk, and here's the word, through, even though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. See, here's what you got to understand. Sometimes when you follow God, he is going to lead you into valleys, but God never leads you into valleys so that you can stay in the valley. He leads you into the valleys because he wants to lead you through the valley. He wants to lead you through it. And here's the incredible promise that David understands. And this is the incredible promise that's available to each and every single one of us because God is with us. And that is, man, if you follow him and you let him be your shepherd, you will get through whatever you are in. Because he doesn't lead you to the valley to keep you there. He leads you to it to get you through it. And he will get you through it because he loves you and he cares for you. And that's why he says, I fear no evil. What that literally means is I fear no bad outcome. I know that if God is with me, this is going somewhere good. I know this is leading somewhere, that he knows where he's taking me. And he, we're going to get through it. In fact, I love 
what David says next. He says, I'm going to fear no evil because you're with me. Now, this is so cool. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, some of you are like, what's that, all? What's that whole rod staff thing about? What's that talking about? Well, you got to remember that the imagery that's being used here is that of a, a shepherd and his sheep. And historically, back in these times, a shepherd would carry two tools with him, and those two tools would be his rod and his staff. A rod uh, speaks of a shepherd's protection. A staff speaks of his correction. So the rod, that would have been, uh, it's literally translated club. It basically was like a baseball bat, and on the end of it, there would be these sharp metal objects. And the shepherd would use this to fend off any predators or any thieves who would try to come and hurt the sheep. And so David says, I- I'm not going to fear any evil, and I'm going to be comforted because, God, I know that you got my back. I know that anything that's happening in my life, you have allowed it. Anything that I'm going through right now, you have allowed it. And anything that's going to inflict harm on me that you don't want to come through, you're going to keep it from coming through. It's God's, he's speaking about God's protection. He says, your rod, and then he says, your staff comforts me. Now, your, his staff is referring to God's, um, his correction. So you guys know what the staff is, right? That's the curly stick thing. Uh, that shepherds have, the shepherd's crook, the thing that the Muppets would use to pull people off the stage, right? That thing that he's talking about, that would be used for correction. So shepherd would use that to poke a sheep to to make sure that he would move if he wasn't moving. Uh, He would use it to pull a sheep back in if he was straying. What's David saying? Again, he's saying, even when I'm in the valley, even when I'm in the valley, God is right there. He is very involved and he is actively helping me get through this because he wants to take me to the place that he wants me to go. Listen, here's what I think David has come to recognize and embrace. And I don't know if you've come to a place, if you're a follower of Jesus, to recognize and embrace this, and that's this. There's nothing that you're experiencing in life, nothing, that God hasn't allowed. There's nothing. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's nothing that you're going through that God hasn't allowed. And if God has allowed it and God has brought you there, you can guarantee he's gonna take you through it. And you can rest in that. You can rest in that and find comfort in that. I think when David has come to the place of recognition here, I believe that David has come to recognize and embrace this reality. And that is that oftentimes, oftentimes, the valleys are an opportunity for greater intimacy with God. That oftentimes it's in the valleys that we have an opportunity for greater intimacy with God. And you notice this in this passage. In fact, I want to show you something. I thought this was so interesting. One of the things you notice when you read Psalm 23 is that about halfway through, King David switches, um, he, he switches pronouns. So no, notice this. When he's talking about God in the first half of the psalm, he uses the third person pronoun, third person personal pronoun. He says, he, God, he makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes me. He guides me for his namesake, right? But do you notice, it's not until you get to the valley that all of a sudden he switches and he begins to address God directly. He goes to the second person and he says, you, you comfort me. Your rod, your staff. He's gonna say in the next verse, you prepare a table, you. Why is that? Well, you gotta remember, this is poetry. This is poetry. And David is making, I believe, a very profound point, And that's this. That in the times of green valleys and in the times of still waters, we enjoy God. We enjoy him. But it's in the valleys that we get to know him. It's in the valleys we draw closer to him. It's in the valleys that we have an opportunity for an intimacy that's not otherwise available. And you can lay hold of that if you come to understand that peace is not found in a place. Peace is found in a person. 
love the way C.S. Lewis said it. C.S. Lewis, uh, Dan quoted him last week, and um, I, I just thought he said it so, so well that I'm going to quote him again. This is what he said. He said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. I think what he's saying is true. What he's saying is the same thing. Peace is not found in a place. It's not found anywhere. It's only found in the presence of God. And so we will find no happiness and no peace apart from him because he is the place where happiness and peace are found. God is not distant. God is present. And because that's true about God, that means that God's presence brings peace regardless of the place that we're in. Because peace is not found in a person or in a place, we don't pursue a place. Peace is found in a person, so we pursue the person. And it's in the presence of God that we find peace. Ask the band to come up and... um. As the band settles in, I want to end our time with just something a little, kind of a little practical. Um, I know that what we've been saying in this whole message is we've been saying that, man, God is not distant. God is present. And so it's in God's presence that we find peace. But some of you might be asking the question, well, then how do I live in the presence of God? How do I do that? How do I, how do I live in a continual state of the presence of God? And I just want to give you three practical things that I think might be helpful for you on this. Okay, so I believe that in light of this truth, God is not distant, God is present. That's what the Bible says about God. There are three decisions that we need to make, three choices that we have to make in light of this. And here they are. The first decision I think we need to make is that we need to decide to yield. We need to decide to yield to God's presence. And what I mean by that is this. All of the peace that is available to us in Psalm 23 is only available to those who can say that the Lord is their shepherd. Uh, The only way that David has the ability to say what he says is because he has first yielded his life to the shepherd. He says, God's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one. And listen, here's the thing. I know that um, for some of you in the room, maybe maybe you're investigating the whole Jesus conversation and you're not a Christian. And by the way, if you're investigating Christ, we say this every week, we count it an honor and a privilege that you would let us be part of that investigation. But I just want to tell you that this peace that we're talking about that is available to you, it is available to you, is only accessible if you call God your shepherd. And that is if you surrender and you yield your life to him. If you say, I want you to define me, I want you to direct me, I want you to lead me, I want you to guide me. It's only when you come to that place that you'll experience this. And I got to be honest with you, that's not a very easy decision to make. That's actually a hard decision to make. It's simple but it's not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because in order to do this, you have to admit something about yourself that's not real flattering. And that's this, to call God your shepherd means that you have to admit that you're a sheep. And I'll just be honest with you, we've talked about this. Sheep, the fact that the Bible calls us sheep is not exactly flattering. The Bible doesn't call us panthers. Like that would be awesome if it's like, you're panthers. Like you guys are, that's not what it says, it says we're sheep. Sheep are notoriously dumb animals. I've never seen a trick sheep before. I've never seen a seeing eye sheep. I've never seen a police sheep. Like, why is that? It's because they're just not the smartest animals. And I don't know if you knew this. Sheep are always domesticated. Do you know that? They're always domesticated. You never see a sheep in the wild. And why is that? They're bred to be led. That's why. If you see a sheep, there's a shepherd somewhere. That's just the way it works. And so to call God my shepherd, it means I have to admit something kind of hard about myself. And I have to admit this, that I don't actually know the best way to lead my own life. I actually don't know what's right and what's wrong for me. I actually don't know where to find true peace. And I have to submit that to the good shepherd 
But that's where we gotta start. We gotta start by yielding. Here's the second decision I have to make. God is present, he is not distant, so I have to decide to embrace God's presence. I have to embrace his word. I have to embrace his ways. I'll say it another way, and I think this is really important. I think we have to make a decision to say, I'm gonna trust God at his word and his ways more than I trust my feelings. That's real hard because we're conditioned, especially in our culture, to believe that our feelings are the sole determiner of truth. But if God is with me, what I have to do is I have to yield to him and I have to embrace his word and his ways. I have to listen to what he says and I have to follow the direction he wants me to go. I think this is why it's so important. We talk about things like getting in the Bible on a regular basis. Man, the Bible calls itself God's word. How can I be near to God if I'm not listening to his word? That's why Dan said, man, memorize this psalm. It's an incredible thing to do. Do you know what the Bible says about about God's provision? The Bible says that when we gather together like this, biblical community, when we do things like life group, the Bible says that we are the body of Christ. How is it possible to be in the presence of somebody if you're not attached, if you're not close to their body, right? We have to embrace these things. We have to embrace biblical community, to embrace these things in order to feel his presence. Then here's the last thing, the third decision. I think this one's huge. I think in light of this reality that God is present and he is not distant, that means that we have to make a decision that we choose to praise. I'm gonna choose to praise him because I know he's with me. Even though I don't feel it, I don't always see it, whether I'm in green pastures or I'm in the lowest valley, I'm gonna make a decision and my decision is to praise him. I'm gonna praise him because I know he's with me and I know he wants to guide me and I know he wants to lead me and I know that he's gonna take me through whatever it is that he's got me in right now. And so I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna decide to praise. I think we're gonna get a moment to do that here now. And I would encourage you as we sing in just a moment that you would take an opportunity to do that. Maybe you need to make that decision today that I'm gonna choose to praise regardless of what I'm going through right now. Let's pray together. Well, Father, I just wanna say thank you so much for your word to us. Thanks for Psalm 23. It's powerful and uh, it brings so much, uh, it breathes so much life into us, God, to see who you are. You're not distant, you're not. And I know at times it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like you're, you're estranged or you're aloof or you're preoccupied or you're uninterested, but that's not true about who you are. The truth is that you care a lot. You want to guide us. You want to lead us. You want to make us. You want to refresh us. You want to comfort us. All of that is available to us right now because you are right here. God, you're near. And so, God, I pray that whatever season of life we find ourselves in right now, help us, Father, to embrace that reality. Help us to yield our lives to you and help us to praise you. God, I pray specifically for the person who's going through some valley right now, whatever that might look like, God, would you please Make your presence aware to them. Help them to see that peace is found not in a place, but it's found in your presence and that you're near to them. So God, I pray that even as we worship and sing, would you meet us here in this place? We pray it in Christ's name, amen.